You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everybody, Russ and my Hammers 11. Hope you're all safe and well. If you channel, please consider subscribing, hitting the bell icon so you're made aware of any time we put new content on. Um, lots of great guests come up, including today's guest, a regular com- uh, you know, contributor, appearing regularly on the um, Stop Hammer Time podcast with Phil and Jim. Um, we've had lots of lots of the regular guys on the on the channel, and they're all all good good laughs. It's uh, it's Simon Pinto. Hi Simon, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Russ. And it's uh, lovely to be part of this uh, extravaganza of yours that um, I'm sure was up originally as a good idea in lockdown as to a uh, beast. But it's a very enjoyable yes. beast. I've watched a number of others' contributions and uh, it's been great fun. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it so has well been done fun. you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. No, it's very good. I, it's, it's great because it it's probably the one Zoom call or the one video conferencing call that every West Ham fan doesn't mind doing at the moment, in, in lockdown at the moment, to be fair. Um, uh, how's things with you at the moment, Simon? Well, I'm I'm still quite enjoying it. It's getting a bit um, feeling to be quite honest. First few mm. weeks of lockdown, um, very strange for me. Um now five months, obviously, into it. Uh, longest period in my entire life I've not been in court. Um, first few weeks seemed like a holiday, although an unpaid holiday. And all I did was get fat and lazy and decide I have to do something about that. But um, in essence, I've enjoyed it. Great. No one yet criticise you. don't want to speak. And I think I've, oh, I've lost you and I've come back again. Um, it's okay. So that's been good. Uh, yeah, I think though, unfortunately, the world's never going to be the same. No, it's not. Everything's going to be. Um, and how different. we cope with that? Well, only time will tell. But, yeah, yeah, it is. It's going to be a whole lot different. Oh, Simon's in and out a little bit. I might have to. Um. Anyway, while, while we get Simon back, um, hope everyone's well. 
Um, uh, Simon is obviously a regular contributor on the Stop Hammer Time podcast and um, comes across very funny. And I'm looking forward to it. He's been doing his sort of 11s during the, um, during the lockdown. Anyway, and Simon's back. There he is. And uh, Simon's back. And uh, yeah, no, you're, you're totally yeah. right. You're totally right in terms of what you were saying. It, you know, the world's never going to be the same, really. Um, everything's going to be a slight. No. Everything's, you know, any anytime someone coughs or anything, yeah. at least for the foreseeable future, you can go, okay. I know. Um, I know. But, but you know, football, at least, we, at least West Ham are in the Premier League. <laughs> you know, small mercies. Small mercies. Well, West what, and what a, relief, what a relief that was. Yeah. Totally. It really um, was. But, you know, I'm a huge critic and um, I, I we should never, ever be in that situation, in my view, ever, ever. No. Um, there's just no excuse. Um, and there isn't. Not with the, not with the families, the tradition. And the, uh, sorry, we should never be in that um, position. And um, I don't buy into this, well, three teams have always got to go down. Yes, they have. But in the history of the Premier League, those three teams have never included Tottenham, Arsenal, Chelsea, Everton, Liverpool, Man United. So you've got to ask yourself, why aren't those three teams, why aren't those teams including the three that have got to go down? It's because they're done in a way that makes sure it doesn't happen. Yeah. You're right. You're totally right. You're totally right. And I think I think I could do with a couple of boring Kerbishly Allardyce esque year seasons now, you know, 10th, 11th, uh, and and just build something, you know, just whatever it is, whether it's stability, whether it is mid table for the time being, before we can move up a level, so to speak. I think we tried to move up too many levels up the, you know, with Pellegrini and stuff too quickly with West Ham. And um, well, actually, I think. I don't think you can ever have too much ambition. No. Um, my fear is, and I know my age, and I'm getting on, uh, it's coping with reality um, of going win the league. Um, and I'm a bit beyond the table mediocrity, yeah. frankly. I've witnessed it for 50 years. Sure. And they're just the great underachievers of all time. Um, you know, we're the only team, I think, you can honestly say this, who boasted three World Cup winners and just not World winners. You know, we yeah, had true. England's greatest ever footballer at our club, you know, the height of his powers. And we never be, we never finished beyond sixth in the 1960s. So there's nothing mm. new in this. No, yeah. Um, it's a recurring theme. And you've got to ask yourself why. And the answer is simple, because the executive management at West Ham have never been able to action on to what we've got never had a vision, never had sufficient ambition and never had either the nous nor the financial wherewithal to actually achieve what we should have achieved. And that's a sad and sorry story, but it's the mm. truth and you can't really run away from it. No, no, very true. Very true, Simon. No, I totally agree. I totally agree with that. Um, it, as you said, it's, it's it's been pandemic for the last 50, 50, 60 years. So it's it's not like it's happened in the last, since yeah. the last administration. It's You're right. It's it's throughout. And when you think about it in the context of, of you saying the World Cup, World Cup, three World Cup winners, and we, we still never won a league or, you know, if we need sixth. And uh, yeah, it's crazy when you think of it yeah. like that. Absolutely crazy. So, uh, I mean, I'm not so a great I'm, one for statistics. I'm, yeah. Yeah. 
No, you carry on. You carry on with your, your statistics. I'm sorry, no, I said, I'm not a great one for statistic, but um, there's one that I think tells you everything you need to know. In the history of the Football League, um, that when it's set up in four divisions, there are only, I think, seven clubs that have never played outside the top two divisions. And we're one of those clubs, and we're the only one of the seven that's never won the league. The others being Arsenal, Man United, Tottenham, Everton, Liverpool. Um, and there you go. Wow, says all you need to know, really. It does, it does, it does indeed. And it is, uh, yeah, it's quite damning when you put it in that light, Simon. Thank you. <laughs> so, Simon, the, the first question I always ask everyone, yeah. um, is why is West Ham your club? Yeah. You know, you, you talk about it so eloquently, but why is West Ham your club? Um, the short answer is it's in the blood. Yeah. The long answer is that, um, <laughs> forgive me, um, the long answer is that I'm um, genuinely born and bred within the Bowells, the London yeah. Hospital in Whitechapel. Um, I come from a multi-generational East End family. My paternal grandparents um, ran a boozer called the Royal Charlie and Chris Street Market in Poplar. Um, Thereafter, my dad, as they used to say in those days, bettered himself and we moved to the higher echelons of Barkingside in the London borough of Redbridge, where I grew up. Um, as a kid in the 60s, it was very, very easy to support West Ham because we won the World Cup. We had the Holy Trinity of Moorhurst and Peters. They played at a cathedral called Upton Park, which was the bus ride away from to go every other Saturday with my mates and um, queue up all one o'clock chicken run. Uh, I went to a secondary school, which was a local grammar school, because in those days, if you were 11 plus, where you went, yep. which was the same school um, that had been attended previously by Trevor Brooking Trevor and John Isle. So when I was at school in the 70s and we won the cup, it was complete and utter pandemonium. You can imagine 700 hair last Herberts. 75% of whom supported West Ham. We had Claret and Blue decking out. It was just bonkers. It was fantastic. Um, couldn't be better. And in addition to um, John and Trevor, um, <laughs> that school has had a number of well-known West Ham supporting uh, students many years before me. Um, the great boxing writer Colin Hart the only um, boxing writer ever to be inducted into the American Boxing Hall of Fame, but much more of my contemporaries, um, Rob Shepard, and of course, um, Martin Samuel, who's the renowned writer at, at, um, on the Daily Mail. So that's the long of it. Um, and, and here we are, and what I call 50 years, not of love, but of being in an abusive relationship, which I think is much closer <laughs> to. Um, whereby you constantly get disappointed, upset, beaten, browbeaten, sickened, but you can't help yourself and you go back for more uh, to, your, to your ultimate desire in the hope that somehow, someday, somehow, way, when or what, it's going to change and it's going to be better. And yes. it's the good days that keep you going, really, over a lifetime of suffering. And that's exactly how I see it. No more and no less. Um, no. I've been a season ticket holder 
for, oh my God, since the 80s, three generations of my family. That's your answer. Yeah. It's That's in the it. blood. It's in the blood. Uh, and my, and my, one of my best ever, my um, best friends went to, went to yeah, that school as well, the school you mentioned. So right. It's, it's, yeah. Well, there you uh, go. There's, there's a lot of us around. There are. There are. I wasn't, I wasn't, um, I, yeah, I never did. It's quite funny, but, um, I never did my 11 plus. Uh, I did, I did Bancroft's Forest and Chigwell instead because I come from around that area anyway as well. So, yeah. Oh, I never did, did you now? Plus. Yes. Oh, I yes. Say. Yes. But oh, I, 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 didn't go, I didn't go to Chigwell. Wow. Yeah. I didn't get into, I didn't go to either. I went to a, a, oh. a place, a school called Davenant in, in Loughton, which is where I lived, which was a ecumenical oh, school. Yeah, Davenant. Yeah. So I went to Davenant. So, yeah. And that's why I stayed a lot cheaper, a lot cheaper than going to <laughs> going to Bancroft's for my family. Well, not, but, yeah, um, then, then not yeah, not where I went, which was of course free, but a yeah, lot exactly. cheaper than and Chigwell and Forest and yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Small world, isn't it? It is. It is a small world, and and it it just gets smaller and smaller. The more the more people I talk to at West Ham uh, through this channel, and and so many weird connections, and um, it's lovely, and I love it. And and you see people in the street you bump into who you've interviewed now. Yeah, it, it's brilliant. I absolutely love it. Absolutely love it, Simon. Um, so let, let's go and talk about this eleven. Must be fantastic. I mean, you... it's brilliant. I love it. Sorry, there's a little delay. My apologies yeah. on this. <laughs> Sorry, there's, well, there's a delay. Um... I do. Yeah, I know it's, I don't know where the, yes, um, I, knowing of course your format, um, had I gone with the very best 11 that I'd actually personally witnessed playing, it would have been with probably um, the exception of Vic Watson, the greatest ever West Ham team in the history of the world. Um, and it would have been too bleeding obvious. And I thought that the last thing you wanted was another 11 of Parks and Stewart and Martin and Moore and Lampard and Trev and Dev and Bonzo and Payet or Paolo and Jeff. So um, it's just too silly, really. So I needed a challenge and I needed to be inventive. And what I therefore came up with, which would challenge me, but I thought might be interesting for others because there'd be some argument in it. At least if I went with the best I've ever seen, there's no argument at all, really, unless you want to fight about whether Julian Dix or Frank Lampard Sr. I mean, but who cares? I mean, you're just fighting over greatness. So it really doesn't matter. Um, so I went with the ultimate challenge, which was to find the best 11 on your 442 criteria that I personally had seen play um, that were not by their birth or their nationality or their passport, um, British as non-British Isles, non-British and non-European mainland. Like it. Which effectively leaves the rest of the world. Yeah. But a much smaller in number proportionately who've played football in the top flight of English football. Yes, let alone West Ham. But and I therefore, you know, a bit more challenging and a mm. few more arguments. Yeah, yeah I love it. Absolutely, love it, love it. So okay, Simon, start, let's start in goal. Let's start in goal. Who's in goal for this rest of the world eleven? Well, this isn't. This is a, a relatively easy choice. Um, there aren't too many, thankfully, to choose from, and I've gone with the obvious, which is um, Shaka Hislop. Um, two spells at the club, um, Trinidad and Tobago. Obviously, um, I think quite an underrated keeper, uh, but when you're 
lots of the likes of Ludek Mikasko and before him, the great Phil Parks. Um, I think he was a very reliable keeper, good shot stopper. Wish he would have stopped that one in the 90th minute in 2006 in Cardiff, but let's move on swiftly. But more than that, a thoroughly likeable fella, really nice guy, very articulate. And I think most importantly about Shaka, he actually got what it meant to play for West Ham. Mm. Um, he embraced the club, he embraced the supporters, and I think there was a reciprocal feeling toward him. And so he's a very easy choice. So I've gone with Shaka in goal. Yeah, very good, very good. And obviously, um, we've had him on the channel. He's been a love. He's a lovely, lovely guy, and um, yeah, and, and I used, he's brilliant. And um, he used to live in Loughton as well, so I used to see him walking around no, Safeways. I, I know, brilliant. Loved it. Yeah, nice I know. Well, former client of mine, former client of mine, lived in oh. Loughton as well, and that was Paolo Di Canio. So you would have seen him quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Not Paolo. He probably got his Bless men to go problems. and go. He probably, he probably no, got his he men to go. Was he got his wife to go? That about his men. <laughs> Brilliant. Right, you carry on. You carry on, Simon, in the team as have you how you want to go through it. It's okay. Well, I done a as you you know followed your criteria classic four four two. Nice. Um, working. I take the, the full backs first. Um, right back. Um, a relatively easy choice as well. Four hundred odd um, uh, appearances for West Ham. One of our probably our best players, um, and that's Steve Potts. Um, fortunately for me, is American for this purpose, um, being born in the United States, so he qualified. Um, but th there's very little to say about Pottsy that's not been said. Um, lacked, what he lacked in inches, he made up for in anticipation. Um, you know, um, he had pace. He, he was really tenacious when he needed to be, but great awareness, lovely passer of the ball as well. Um, and that amount of appearances over a sticky time for West Ham defensively. Um, I think he was a remarkable player and a very valued one. And so it's an easy choice at right back. Yeah. Left back, however, much more difficult. Not many choices. And so I've gone with someone who I think actually embodies pretty much what West Ham is all about. And that is when he was good, he was very, very good. But when he was bad... It was diabolical. And uh, that is Peter Ilunga, um, who is from what is euphemistically called the um, Democratic Republic of the Congo. But there we are, um, enough politics, otherwise I'll get in more trouble. But um, I think it was a good fullback and a very good attacking fullback, um, genuinely left footed. And as I said, when he was good, he was great. But when he was um, you had to sit there and cover your eyes, but um, at least it fits. And I think it was a fair fallback in circumstances. Um, you know, let's let's focus because it's much easier on the centre back partnership. Yes, let's go. And I've it. gone, go. I've gone Australasian, and everyone can relax. Um, Hayden Fox does not feed. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I've gone with Lucas Neal, um, who came to us in the January window um, of the Great Escape season, and I think was as transformative in that season, in all honesty, as Carlos Tevez. Oh, um, once he escaped definitely. from Alan Pardew's blind spot um, in not 
selecting him um didn't really take much you know and Kirby, however limited he might be lisa's got a brain and um decided to play carlos but i think lucas neil was equally as transformative Definitely. everyone forgets his role they think about tevez they think about some of the role performances particularly most famously at the arsenal when we were the first visiting team to win at the emirates having been the last visiting team to win at highbury um and we won in 1980 so they can all f off quite frankly um but um very combative uh lacked a bit of pace but i think made up for that is reading of the game um very reliable and i really liked um lucas yeah. neil so that's an easy one for me easy and easy. his partner in crime um is more obvious in 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 many respects um the man who of course most famously scored the last ever goal at upton park um who um really suffered from terrible back injury which has meant that we've not seen him for the last three years but a really proper centre-back um Winston Reid what a good player um yeah. joined us um signed by Avram Grant which should make you doubt any sanity but um proved <laughs> the doubt was wrong and actually turned out to be a terrific servant for the club yeah, and a real top-class defender so I think there'd be quite um, a West Ham-like centre-back partnership who could be tough when they needed to be tough, but could play as well. And um, both good passers. And yeah. Winston, of course, chipped in with a few goals. As I say, most famously, that very last one um, at Upton Park in that extraordinary night that I'm sure, like yourself, was, I was incredibly delighted to be present at. Of course. Yeah, very much so. And, uh, and obviously, so Winston... now my midfield. It's brilliant. No, no, but, but Winston didn't he? Um, he he played on Saturday for um, uh, the the Seattle Whitecaps. Yeah, whoever, in, the, in the states. States. Yeah, in the states. That was nice to see. Yeah, that was but nice Winston's got what well, it is. I mean, Winston's had a long term back injury, and and yeah, and the problem with the back injury is it affects all others. Mm. So you become more prone to every other strain from groin to calf. It means you can't twist properly, you can't spring properly. And once you have a severe back injury as a professional footballer, it's over, unfortunately. Um, the only question typically for West Ham is why they agreed to give him a five-year contract when it must have been bleeding obvious that he had the problem. But there we are. That's West Ham for you. There is. Let's go into midfield then, Simon. <laughs> right. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go from right. I'm gonna take I'm gonna go from yeah. start on the right, and I'll go with the two wide players. The first, I think, is quite easy. Um, and again, a very much forgotten player. Um, that's Norberto Solano. Mm, yeah. um, Peruvian, obviously. Tremendous Deadpool player. One of the best, um, in all honesty, I can say that I've seen at West Ham. Mm. You know, putting aside, you know, Pyatt and Brooking. A tremendous Deadpool player. Great free kicks, um, corners, you name it. And he could play. Make no mistake, he could play. And I think he's often forgotten, and I don't yeah. quite know why. Um, but he's often overlooked by, you know, when people compile their all-time 11s. But he was a really great player. Mm. And that's an easy choice. Yeah. Far more controversial, I've gone on the left-hand side. 
and I make it quite clear before people fall over and think I've completely lost the plot. I'm going on his first season at West Ham, and that's Felipe Anderson. Because I think Felipe Anderson is a much maligned player, um, mm. simply because no one at the club has actually worked out how to get the best out of him. True. I think it's quite clear he's one of those players that is low naturally on confidence and needs mm. constantly to be buoyed. He needs to be told how good he is. Um, it might be seem might seem sad, and of course it's not a sort of Billy Bonds type attitude, but he needs it, and he needs mm. to be in a team that is best suited for him. Yeah. Um, he's not really had that support, but mm. there were a lot of games in that first season where you could see the genuine class of the player. Mm. A really great ability, and if anyone could actually get the best out of him. He would be sensational. But as I say, I'm justifying it on season one, not the season that's just concluded for obvious reason. But you've got to go with the best that you've seen. So I'm going with the best that I've seen. And I think on that first season, um, it's, a, it's, an, it's an easy choice. Yeah. And um, he's my only boy from Brazil who's made this 11. <laughs> we haven't had many boys from Brazil, really, have we, to be fair, thinking about it. No, we haven't. We haven't. And a couple that we have had have been so poor. Um, I think they've probably been Brazilian because they found him in Watley Street Market, um, you know, selling a few dodgy artifacts. But uh, there we are. Better move on swiftly. Yeah. Uh, don't want to knock on the door. Thank you. Yeah. Centre midfield. <laughs> Centre midfield. I've gone for a little and large combination. Oh, nice. And um, my little is not Manuel Lanzini, um, which might surprise and upset some. I have gone for what is probably Israel's finest ever footballer and probably one of the best passers of a ball um, that I've ever had the pleasure to watch, and that's E.L. Berkowitz. Mm. Um, what a terrific footballer. Um, could find space, could find a man, could finish, um, I think had the lot... Now, what do I know? So ignore me. But he played at one time at Southampton under the stewardship of, of all people, Graham Souness. And Graham Souness described him as the best passer of a ball he'd ever seen. Wow. And given the teams that Graham Souness played for, um, that's some statement. But when you look back and if you see some of the footage that you've showed and others have showed at the time when El was playing, you know, some of the pools he threaded through, the weight of pass was just, I mean, really quite delicious. Um, what a terrific player. So he's an easy one for my little. And my large is the late and sadly late because he died playing for his country um, in extraordinary circumstances. And that's um, Vivian Foe, Mark Vivian Foe. Um the nearest I think we've probably ever had to Patrick Vieira. Yes. Rangy, strong, could make a tackle, could run with it with that great long stride. Um, I think he was a monster player, Mark mm -hmm. Vivian Foe. He too embraced the club and he embraced, you know, London and the East End of London. And I think he got it. And I was very sad personally when he got moved on. Yeah. I think he was a terrific player. And of course, he will always be in the annals of West Ham um, video history. Yes. Lest people forget. And you know where it's coming from because yep. it was his crossfield ball to Trevor Sinclair 
that went back to the other side that the, the all-time Premier League goal was finally scored by Senor De Cano. Yes. So that's um he but he is a lot more than that, Mark yeah. Vivian Foe. And um I can speak, you know, of him because of what Paolo used to say about him. And and if Paolo De Cano rates a player, then you know he can play. Um Paolo has very high standards and he really rated him and liked him a lot. So that tells you all you need to know. But I thought he was great and he would gobble up ground and gobble up opponents. And he was a proper West Ham type um, tough player in the midfield. Yeah, he was. And he was like the he was almost like the blueprint for that mold of player that is a Vieira, Co, Co, <laughs> you know, Torre. He, yeah. Mark, he was the first one, really. He was. Know. I mean, yeah. you know, Cameroonian. So he fits, um, meets the criteria. Yeah. But what a good player and really did it all properly and it's a great loss obviously to his family and to his friends but to football as well mm. that he should have died in such circumstances and you know he went to man city and man city fans speak so warmly of him as well mm. and i think that says a lot for the man and it was quite an easy choice in the center of my midfield yeah no definitely that's good right let's let's go strikers i'm, I'm excited who's who you got up front then Simon? well um I'm going to go, I'm going to leave the best till last, but so um, no disrespect to the penultimate. Um, <laughs> there are a number of choices I could have gone with, mm. but I have gone again with a player I think in, in the round is very underrated by West Ham, some West Ham fans, and um, a player who is a very much everything that you would expect of a modern centre forward. Um, he runs ran the channels. Um, would you know, could score in the air, could score on the ground, um, and any opponent of his just hated him because he would drag them out of every single position and and throughout the ninety minutes. And I don't quite know what went wrong. I don't know if he wasn't properly handled at the club. I don't know if he felt uh, marginalised. Maybe that was it. Um, it was a fantastic financial deal for us. And so I've gone with, um, I think he's Senegalese. I hope he is. Otherwise, I've really made a right mistake here. And do you want to put his name on the screen? Diafra Saka. Um, <laughs> I think I think Diafra was a really good player. And as I say, you know, he also, of course, famously scored um, at that last night at, yes. at, at Upton Park. Um, but it's a, a lot more than that. He's, he, you know, that we had that sort of little purple patch mm. um, uh, at the beginning of the season before that. And he was on fire. We won at Palace. Yeah. And, and Palace had, you know, obviously Tompkins, I think it's, I can't, is it Scott Dan? And he ran yeah. them into the ground. He was terrific. He scored, you know, he scored at Anfield. He scored at Old Trafford. Um, he's a good player. Yeah. And I was, I for one was very sad when they moved him on. And I oh, really yeah. think should have done a lot more to keep him. And mm. very easy, to, very easy to compliment, compliment a partner. And I believe in yes. the partnerships up front. I don't like the lone striker. I mean, unless you're Didier Drogba, but he was exceptional. I like yeah. strikers who play in a pair. And I think he would have been a great compliment to my final choice, who is, of course, Carlos Tevez. Yeah. Um, it's rather remarkable that a player who is so lauded played so few many times for West Ham. So true. And I think that just demonstrates what an impact he had. Yeah. 
um, his ability, a genuine world-class player. Um, and if I put my hand on my heart, there are only about four or five in truth that I've actually ever seen genuine world-class footballers at West Ham in my entire life. You know, obviously Moro, Trevor, Di Canio, I would say, and I don't want to upset people, Payet, but he was. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. And Tevez is one of those. Mm. But he too, he got what it meant to play for this club. Um, and it all changed for him, of course, in that now infamous home defeat against Tottenham when he scored that wonderful free kick and threw himself into the crowd. And that kindled that love affair. Mm -hmm. I mean, thereafter, any sin would be forgotten. And it yeah. was. He actually got, again, what it meant. And I think players who come here and get what it means and understand the mentality of the fan base um, and the commitment you need to get love, you're fine. And he got it. And um, ironically, I think of his one performance uh, at Upton Park that really... I, I believe, says it all and the impact he made at West Ham. And it wasn't playing for us. No. It was when he first came back playing for Man United, where um, he was so emotionally overwhelmed by the reaction, not just before the game, when he got that standing ovation, ovation for about 36,000, but throughout the game, that he simply was useless. He couldn't, he couldn't actually pass the ball. He couldn't get the ball. He couldn't trap it. He was so overcome that Ferguson, I think, took him off after about 30 or 40 minutes because he was just useless. Yeah. And that really, I, in a kind of ironic way, I think really demonstrates the impact that he had at the club, the affection that the fans had for him, and obviously the genuine affection that he had for us. Um, and I could never, I can't think of any other player who has received such um, an ovation and such warmth from the home fans um, that actually put them off their stride. And um, it did. And I think that really says it all. But what a great player. And if only Alan Pardew um, could have shown a bit of common sense and, you know, um, less hubris and because he didn't sign him. And the truth is, if he'd have played the whole season um, and alongside Mas or Mascarano behind him, that would have been a terrific team. But Pards, you know, they didn't call him Mr. Chocolate for nothing because he, he would eat himself if he could have. Um, couldn't get over the fact that it wasn't his purchase and didn't want to yeah. play him. Um, yeah. And of course, once he did play, you could see what a great football it was. And it wasn't Carlos Tevez's fault that... Scott Duxbury um, landed the club in the biggest pile of the brown smelly stuff, um, which was entirely unnecessary, could have played it absolutely straight, and we wouldn't have got in the mess we got in. We wouldn't have had to pay 20-odd million pounds back to Sheffield United. And who knows what the trajectory might have been, but certainly wasn't the player's fault. And the player did everything he could conceivably have done to get it out of the mire that others had put us in. But... Yeah never to be forgotten, and a no. simply world-class footballer yes. at the um, front of my 11. Oh, yeah, totally. And and he, um, and, and we, when we interviewed um, 
Anton. Um, he spoke of how Carlos, despite the fact not speaking a word of English, he really, really, really wanted to integrate himself in the team. So much so they'd go out on nights out in London, in the nightclub in London, and Carlos would bring his interpreter with him. And so he's on the dance floor with his interpreter communicating yep. to Anton. And, and do you know what? I, and I can just see that. I could just see that. He was just, he loved the club. It's funny how some players just get it. And, well, and he did. Know, well, as I said, you know, within my 11, you know, Shaka, mm. Yeah. Mark Vivian Foey, um, and 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 Tevez, they all have this great common denominator that mm. they got it. It's not just limited to them. I mean, no one more no. than yeah. Paolo, um, yeah, of course, exemplifies that. But I think that's a lot to do with upbringing. Um, mm. Obviously, Shaka, although um, Trinidadian, born in I think it or spent most formative years in Hackney, mm. but understood it. Obviously, he did. Um, the Canio understood it. He came from a harsh upbringing in Rome. He got the. He loved the fact that the supporters were awkward. They did everything to them. In an ultra himself, the terraces of Lazio. He understood that fanaticism that drives us all on. And I think in the same way, Tevez, you know, harsh upbringing, understood the fanaticism that drove him on to be the player. He was and i think that is what makes the marriage so special mm. and that is why those players and you can you can look through those that have really got it and even understand to this day um i i don't name but i'm going to because he's someone who proves or rather is exception to the rule that proves the adage you should never meet your heroes I've been lucky enough over the last 20 to get to know Trevor King well. Yeah. And and he is just the most extraordinary man mm. simply because he is so modest. And, you know, he will underplay himself. But the point is that I, I've joked with him so many times that on that um, rather infamous Saturday afternoon um, when we lost 3-0 at home to Burnley and all the shit was being chucked in the director's box. Yeah. And, and Trevor said, you know, I don't know why I stayed sitting there. I said, well, you were the one person that no object was ever going to be thrown anywhere close to. No. I said, y it's like you've got a wall of impregnability around you, Trev. <laughs> you know, it didn't matter what happens here. Um, no one's ever going to say a bad thing. And let alone say anything. And, he, and, he, and if you look at that, and I think that's what's the funniest thing in that whole really sad saga, that everyone else walks out and there's coins and everything else being thrown. And there's Trevor sitting there like nothing has happened. And it's almost oblivious to it. And the rioters, if you want to call them that, or the demonstrators, have no harsh feeling to him whatever. It's, it's bonkers. But yeah. that, again, is... is the, the relationship mm. um that visceral connection that some players have it's not just the fact that of course he was one of our all-time greatest players mm. not just the fact that he played what 650 times for the club or whatever stupid number it is and man and boy yeah. and that he didn't leave when they got relegated that he stayed and you know his achievements go on and on and on and on and on, you know, and revered everywhere he he's been. Mm. Um, but he's never forgotten that's his club. Yeah. And and I remember because I'm of that age, like as you are, 
um, when, and, and you'll back me up on this, because um, a lot of people who are watching this won't know because they live in a, a, they've lived a whole lifetime of Sky Sport and social media and instant reporting. But in the 80s um, and into the 90s, that the only live reporting was on the radio, mm. um, other than the FA Cup final, was on the yeah. radio. And Trevor, because he was one of the more articulate footballers, had his own show on um, what was then Radio 2 on midweek, the Trevor Brooking um, football night or whatever it was called. And there would be part commentary on a game. And he would of often analyse West Ham matches. And of course, the first rule in broadcasting is you have to be neutral. <laughs> and Trevor was, except that whenever West Ham were playing, he would just say, well, we did this and we did that and we shouldn't yeah. have done that. And we were unlucky. And it was always we. He just couldn't stop it. And he can't now. And that is what is so actually quite adorable um, yeah. about it. You know, it doesn't. He's got a knighthood. You know, no one's got a bad word to say about him. He's at the highest table in society, let alone in football. Yet, if you ask him, what are you? His answer is, I'm West Ham. And, yeah. and, and the fact is, he is. Yeah. And, and it's that visceral connection that I go back to, and I'm sorry, but he got it in a different way. Bonzo has it in a different mm. way. Tevez had it. Mm. Paolo had it. Dixie had it. And once you've got that, you know, you can do no wrong, however wrong you might be. It's quite a remarkable thing. Yeah. All sins are forgiven. Yeah. Um, and you know really what says it all and i know a lot of younger um viewers of this will think what is this old idiot talking about because that they unfortunately will never know what it's like to support a club like ours and have players who have played their entire professional careers mm. at that club yeah they're never going to see that no, no, no. and i don't want to upset anyone but it ain't gonna happen with declan rice no. you know we're just not going to see that nobs obviously is the exception mm. but as lovely a guy is and 502 and i'm sure he's going to get to beyond 505 which he really needs to go to get the next rung up the ladder yeah um jimmy raffle was think 505 and vic watson yeah. is the same number um but you know nobs is not that level of footballer no. as, as obviously trevor or moro or bonzo is is a great great contributor and a west ham man through and through and we all love him yeah. for that but we've forgiven his sins as well. Yeah, totally. And let's be quite honest about it, Russ. If he were not Mark Noble, the crowd would never have tolerated a lot of his performances. No, of course not. In, in no. truth. Never yeah. in a million years had he not been, you know, who he is. So it just reinforces my point. Yeah. Um, you know, all sins are forgiven. Um, but what I was about to say was for, for youngsters or anyone who's actually probably under 40, um, you know, who to understand what it really means. Um, if they were at West Ham and I sit in that stand, which bears this great man's name, to mm. watch him cry, the yes. toughest man in the history of English football, bar none, to watch that man cry when that stayed, that stand mm. with his name was unveiled, yeah. I think tells you everything. And he's not even one of us. He, you know, he's a South London guy. Charlton boy. Played yeah. for Charlton for 65 appearances yeah. before he jumped over to the right side of the Thames. <laughs> but really says it all, you yeah. know, because he got it. And um, that's massive for us. 
And in the same way that he cried, I remember um, this game you might have been at, which was um, Trevor Brookings' final game for West Ham. No, I wasn't there. We were home to Everton on a Monday night in 84. And it was about 30,000 there, just because it it was his last game. Yeah. And we lost 1-0 and it really didn't matter. And um, the team went off. That was the end of the season. And no one left the stadium. And Trevor, because he's so modest, had, you know, thought the best I might do is to go up and wave goodbye. And no one left the stadium. And he was forced by the directors to get out there because otherwise we're never going to clear this place. And I remember he walked, did a lap of honour with little Warren sort of there. Trevor had no boots on. And I watched grown men, tough men, mm. much older than I, who lived through a war, um, who I used to know, um, cry, cry when he walked, did that that lap of honour. You can watch it on on video somewhere, I've no doubt. But it is, and and you should, and everyone should, Mm. because if you want to know what it means to play for West Ham and play a lifetime for West Ham, watch Trevor Brookings' lap of honour after his last ever game. And it really tells you everything you need to know about this club, about the rapport that this club has with some of its players and how that reciprocal arrangement works when the love flows both ways and the yeah. commitment flows both ways. It's really quite something to see. Yeah, no, I, I can totally get that. And you're, you're right. I mean, the, the modern the modern era player, they don't hang around for their whole career. You know, it's... Well, it's, I mean, it's there, there are exceptions, obviously, yeah. no Taz, but it's harder at a club like West Ham now. Mm. Um, you know, look, I, I will say this, having so much extolled his virtue, you know, it, Trevor, when we, we got relegated in, in 77, 78, and there was a massive offer um, on the table for Trevor to go to Liverpool, which would have been the um, height at the time would have broken the British transport uh, transfer record. Wow. And um, this was to go to Liverpool, who of course were the team. Um, and his attitude was to the board, well, do you want me to go? If you want me to go and you want to sell okay. me, you need the money, I'll go. But I don't particularly want to. So he stayed. And and you, you just couldn't ever imagine that now. I no. mean, you know, I think personally it would be a miracle if, if, if Declan Rice is here next season. Uh, I really do. And I'm very fearful. But even if he is, it will only be for one more. Yeah. But let's all be honest about it had we been relegated that there would have been no issue he'd have because he's got to further his own career Mm, the idea that you can have a world-class footballer choose to stay at the height of his powers you know 78 77 78 season trevor brooking you know was the best midfield player in this country by a, a mile you know glenn hoddle couldn't tie his fucking boots i'm sorry tottenham fans you're deluded because the difference between Trevor and Glenn Hoddle was that Trevor did it when it really mattered. Mm. And Glenn Hoddle, in my opinion, good player, but a bit of a flat track bully. You know, his goals for England, yeah, against whom? Some third rate outfit. You know, Trevor Brooking scored the goal that got us into the into the, um, the qualification for the uh, 1982 World Cup finals with a goal that famously stuck in the stanchion yeah, um, in Hungary, where no one gave us a prayer. Um, you know, the... The, the goal in the 1980 World Cup, in the 1980 FA Cup final. 
the goals, the, the, his performance um, in the season before we got relegated, when the final game we had to beat Man United and we did 4-2 at home and he just ran the show. It was just whenever it mattered. And that's mm. what I think is the distinction between great players and very good players. Yeah. Great players deliver when it really mattered. Moro, the ultimate. Trevor, Bonzo, you know, Di Canio. If you need, if your life depends on you score this goal, you know that ball is going in the net. And I'll mm. just leave you with this. Yeah. Um, just to, to make that point, in that very famous, extraordinary, when you look back on it, 5-4 game against Bradford, yeah. where Paolo decided he'd had enough and wanted to come <laughs> off and Harry just shit himself because he didn't know what to do and, and bless him. And try to pretend it hadn't happened. And then the crowd started chanting Paolo Di Canio, Paolo Di Canio. So out, you know, he decided having sat on the touchline for five minutes, he might be a good idea actually go back and play. Um, and having been denied three blatant penalties. Yeah. Um, and then of course Kitson goes over a Paul Kitson goes over a blade of grass, gets a penalty awarded, and that extraordinarily embarrassing struggle or yeah. wrestle between right. Frank Lampard Jr., who was the assigned penalty taker, and Icanio, who just felt so aggrieved that he had to put the record straight by taking the penalty. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh, my God, you're going to miss this. I, I I can't watch this because you've made such a performance and someone yeah. dance out this. You are setting yourself up for the biggest fall. <laughs> and, of course, he rifled it in the bottom corner. Yeah. I spoke to him after the game, we had a cup of tea, and I said to him, you know what, I, I tried exactly the same thing. I said, I really thought you were setting yourself up for the biggest fall here. And his answer was, you could have put your house on the fact, I know I was going to score that penalty. Wow. You might have worried. He said, I know why you would have thought that. He said, but I can tell you now. As I ran up, I knew where that was going. And that was going as far away from the goalkeeper you could ever imagine. And if you watch that penalty, it arrowed into the furthest corner of the goal. Because yeah. I had two keepers there, wouldn't have stopped it. And it's that ability to deliver under real pressure. Mm. Um, and I think, if I can be allowed to say this, is what sets apart in English football, the 1966 team. When people keep saying, why haven't we ever won, won the World Cup since? Mm. We've had good players and let's yes. not think, you know, uh, uh, most of them come out of our club and very famous, you know, the, the golden generation, you know, Rio and, and Frank and, and Joe and Michael. Um, and I think it is the ability to deliver when the ultimate pressure is on when mm, it yeah. matters. That is what sets Jeff Hurst apart from having doesn't matter how many goals Harry Kane scores for Tottenham. Really, I don't give a stuff. I don't care how many goals he might score for England. I don't give a stuff. The same for Wayne Rooney. I don't give a stuff. Because what none of them have done is score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. True. The longest standing record in the history of all sport. A record mm. that has stood for 54 years. Amazing. Never even been equaled. Zidane couldn't do it. Maradona couldn't do it. Pelé couldn't do it because mm. Jeff delivered when it really mattered, as yeah. did Moro, as did Trev, as did Bill and Di Canio. And that's what sets these guys apart. True. And they are special players. 
And I'm just very delighted that supporting just an East End club, um, which is in my blood, I at least, with all the disappointments, have had the very considerable pleasure and excitement of watching these guys play football in in my club's colours because it really it gives you an indescribable sense of satisfaction and pride and an inner glow that people who don't understand what we go through as football supporters can never understand. It's beyond their comprehension. And I don't want to sound snotty about it, but it is. Yeah. And we all know what that feels like. We all know that sense of when you go to a, you watch a great West Ham performance, when you walk out of there at the end, you feel 10 foot tall. You've not done it. I've not set up any of the goals. I, yeah. I've, not, I've not stuck in a 40 yarder into the top corner, but it's a remarkable thing, that, that sense of delight and all your problems seem to evaporate. And you think, I can cope with that. I can cope with that. Why? Because we have just wiped the floor with Man United and we didn't just beat them. Well, whatever. Yeah. You know, when you go, I mean, even like last season, not the season that's finished, you know, coming, walking out of, of White Shite Lane, <laughs> um, feeling 10 foot tall. Why? Because we won a game of football. No, because whatever they may achieve and we don't. Yeah. As very good friend of mine who's a lifelong gooner said to me as I'm, you know, trying to get home from that match, said, you know, you have just, your lot have just cast a giant claret and blue shit in the middle of that super stadium. And we did. And it, it I know logically this is nonsense, yeah. but I felt probably for about three weeks, everything else was fantastic in my life. Why? Because Mikel Antonio smashed in that winner, you know, with 15 minutes to go. And I'm a grown man with a family. Yeah. I'm, you know, in Queen's Council. I do seriously hard, responsible work. But, yeah. you know, at the end of it all, I'm just still the same kid that I was when, you know, who got broken hearted in 1972 when Gordon Banks saved Jeff Hurst's penalty yeah, yeah, yeah. in the second leg in the League Cup in the League Cup semi-final, um, yeah. you know, and, and you can't change that. And that is that is the delight of that. And that is why coming up with these 11s and racking your brain and thinking about it takes you back down. Yeah, and it, the great thing about football, it's like music. It's really evocative of, mm. of, of your life, where you were, how you felt. Um, and, you know, I, I I remember this day, the first time I ever, my dad, unfortunately, couldn't take me to football. He worked on Saturdays. Um, so first time he did take me, actually, was to a night game, don't laugh, at White Hart Lane, at a Tottenham Reserve game. I felt so short-changed, short-changed. <laughs> but um, let me tell you, there was about 25,000 people there because wow. Jimmy Greaves was playing for them and Bobby Moore was playing for us, both who were using the game to come back from yeah, injury wow. you can't believe twenty-five thousand people at a reserve game and say because you had england's probably best ever forward and england's greatest ever defender let alone england's greatest ever player yeah. playing for each team um and for me it's it, you know it's the smell of those old woodbines that would waft through the air and the percy yeah. dalton peanuts in the shells that when you left you know the terracing you feel the crunch as everyone <laughs> cracks over them as they walked out um and throwing their money to the guy who used to come along with his little plastic tray and chuck up a Mars bar for 10p or whatever. Um, and the smells and, and the stickiness of the, of, of, of the old chicken run underfoot yeah. 
Um, it's all evocative of where you were mm. in your life. And when I look back on some of those matches that I've been lucky enough to witness, um, it's I can actually put myself there, feel what it was like at the time, smell mm. the smells, hear the shouts, um, some of which I'd rather forget, to be quite honest. But, you know, it takes all sorts, doesn't it? It does. Um, but, you know, that's the magic of it. And yeah. um, for that, I'm truly grateful to be asked to participate in your extravaganza um, and to watch other people do the same because it's taken me back um, totally. through those trips down memory lane. I think that we all need to reinforce um, our own genuine humanity when it comes to football. Yeah. Because you always want to remember the good bit, even though you can't forget the bad. Yeah. But it no. does reinvigorate you and um set you up i think for, for more disappointments to come yeah we, we know it's going to come we know they're going to come simon we know we're going to be disappointed we know we're going to be yeah chelsea chelsea one week we've we'll seen it all before unfortunately Russ, but many times over exactly and and i'll i know next season i'll be um unserious linking match of the day yeah, every other saturday but then next saturday i'll turn up again and that's and that's what we do and that's why we love it and that's what i was that's talking what, about it's a, yeah it's, that's, and that's like as i say it's like being in an abusive relationship <laughs> because you just hope but for all of that and i'll leave you with this and I, and I think this is the power of it when people talk about you know a lot of people can't get over leaving upton park i personally didn't have such a problem but that's a, that's down to me um but it's not the stadium and i and i tell you what is it um, I'm sure that every West Ham fan who watched sat, in, sat on their sofa or their mate's sofa or wherever they were in bed or doing whatever um, on a television in front of an empty stadium and I watched the games often through tedium without the crowd, the, the fake crowd noise. I can't bear that. Yeah. And in that completely anodyne atmosphere, I simply refuse to accept there's a single West Ham fan who in the 92nd minute of the game against Chelsea, mm. when Mikel Antonio played in Yarmolenko and he ran onto it and, as they say, buried it, did not jump six foot up in the air. From where they were in a lying down position, a standing up position, a stooped over position, watching something happen on a screen in a completely sterile atmosphere. Yeah. Because that's what that goal meant. And it was a total thing of beauty. Hmm. Um, and that's what it means to support this club. Even though you're nowhere in the stadium, it couldn't be more, as I say, anodyne or sterile. But Look at your reaction. And yeah. so when people say, why do you keep going? Why do you keep putting yourself through it? That's the answer. Yeah, it's so true. And, and actually, and actually, I, you know, not only, you know, I, I obviously I was there, so not only was I on my feet, but I saw Mark Noble sitting in a disabled seat, jumping 12 feet in the air. Honestly, it was like, and it was nice yeah. to see that. And it was, yeah, and you're totally right. It's, and that's what we live for. Those two or three times a season that happens. Every season it happens, but it's when they happen. That's why we get excited. Yeah, just on that, 
how was it obviously you're working there how did it feel in that stadium that i mean when you went to the games what was it like in that cavernous uh, place with no one there um strange very strange great commute brilliant commute i Always. get a car park space i get a car park space yeah. oh, like round like outside literally on by the champion stones like that's a car yep. park now for start. So okay. I'm home in twenty I'm home in twenty minutes. It's lovely. Um Fantastic. but yeah, no, it's it, it is strange. It's very strange. It didn't I was concerned it would take a lot of faffing about to get in, but literally <laughs> very, very quick. Apparently, London Stadium, based on what other what journalists were telling me, is the easiest one to get through because yep. it's just so it's so well organized. Fair play. Um but it is very, very strange. You can hear the, the tapping of a journalist keyboard um, and it's weird. Um, so much so that I actually sometimes put the crowd noise on on my iPad in my box because you don't hear the, because I can, because <laughs> I can't, I mean, almost, uh, I mean, in terms of exterior crowd noise, my box is soundproof, really. So right. I can't really hear, but I can feel it on the floor. So I can feel it because it's all still. So I can feel the rumblings when the crowd are really going for it. And I miss oh. that. Yeah, but what did it feel like when the teams came out and they did bubbles and, and all the razzmatazz that went with it and there's no one yeah. there? It's just that weird. must have been it's totally weird because I I'm pressing I'm pressing the button I'm playing bubbles I'm doing this and there's no one there and so much so we've had to what we had to do um, you know the Premier League wanted us to play goal music and I haven't played goal music for 19 seasons at Upton Park and London Stadium, but we had to play goal music. Um, they, we, we put a new version of that, of the bubbles track on. So it was more crowd noise singing. Um, that's yep. what we, we couldn't, we, 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 we're not, obviously we're not allowed to play any crowd noise or anything during the, during the actual game, because obviously that's produced by the, by the broadcasters. And it's just very strange. I mean, I do quite a lot of the under-23 games there, and it's very similar. But there's at least 200 fans there of players, mums and dads and, and mates there. But it's just weird. And particularly when goals happen. Although saying that the Villa game was particularly interesting, because obviously when Villa scored, the, the director's box, which had the Villa, like Ian Taylor, was I, and I, that was the most celebrated goal I think I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. Um, and obviously yeah. we then we scored straight after it was, it was really yeah. good but it, it is it is strange but i think we've everyone's had to adapt to it and we'll have to adapt to it for this season as well um no idea when that will happen but um you know whenever it gets back in but it is what it is and you know yeah, we have to but go if on makes, if it makes you feel any better um and i'm sure you must be, get picked up about your your musical choices i've yeah. got no problem because i'm a massive foo fighters fan Okay. So you can play Learning to Fly however many half times and exits you choose, my friend. Well, that uh, see, there ain't that, enough Learning to Fly for me in the history of the world. And and that is because we always have to, I have to, obviously, when we win, it's always bubbles. And but unfortunately, we haven't done a lot of winning. or So it's always, I, I, have, a, I have a playlist. So when, when West Ham lose playlist, and I always press play, and it always, and I, I should really shuffle it because it's always the first track just pops up learning well, to fly. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a massive Dave Grohl fan, so um, I'm, I'd be quite happy if you played it when we win, to be honest with you. But um, <laughs> got no complaints with me. No, anything that's Foo Fighters got no complaints with me, you know. Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm happy there. Cheers, man. Thank you so much. Oh, mate, it's been no, an absolute well pleasure. A, a, an hour has flown by without us even blinking. It's, it's crazy. 
well, thank you so get, much. Two no, big mouths who get, paid, who get paid to speak for a living. You know, it's going to go that way, isn't it? <laughs> That's brilliant. Thank you, Simon. Really appreciate thank your you time. And obviously, thank pleasure. thank you. And obviously, thank you to everyone for watching or, or listening. Um, on, you know, we're doing it on podcast as well now. So either or, make sure you subscribe. Um, and until next time, for me and Simon, take care, everyone. Stay safe. Come on, your irons, and we'll see you again very, very soon. Take Go care, everyone. Time. Come on, your irons. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.